This is thatsinthebible.com. That's in the Bible, episode number 59, The Lord's Supper. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. And welcome back to That's in the Bible. My name is Eric. Glad you could join us for another episode of That's in the Bible. Today's episode number 59, The Lord's Supper. Joining us today is uh, Matthew and Pastor Strobel, Steve. I don't know if he's exactly on assignment, but he's somewhere. He's somewhere. We'll, we'll catch up to him. Hopefully he might still be able to join us here before we're done. But let's start with Pastor Strobel. Pastor Strobel, how are you? I thought I was Pastor Strobel Steve, the way you said that today. Yeah. <laughs> I am fine. That's good. And Matthew. Doing real good. The Matt Man is back. Good, yes. to, good to have you back, Matt. And um, so we've got episode 59. It's hard to believe we're closing in on 60. And uh, if you listen to the first uh, podcast, uh, episode number one, you'll see why. I'm thinking, how, how do we actually make it to... To 59. We're almost up to your age, Dad. Yeah, thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) A little past my age, but I guess uh, it'll catch up. Yeah, it's getting there. So, how's everybody been? I've been doing fine by the grace of God. Good to be saved and Lord's keeping me busy. Yeah, I'm doing good. We just, um, this last weekend here, we had uh, Brother Steve, you know, my father-in-law come out and uh, and my mother-in-law as well. And we celebrated Jennifer's birthday this weekend. Uh, she turned uh, 22 on the 16th. So that was uh, nice that we were able to celebrate that all together. And we were able to go to church yesterday get yesterday together and uh, spend the whole weekend. So that was, uh, it was just a blessing just to kind of hang out and have good fellowship. And um, we were able to go street preaching um, not this last weekend, but the weekend before that um, for uh, for Syracuse's football game again. And it was freezing. <laughs> and uh, we haven't had a cold uh, day like that this winter. We've been uh, blessed with warm days out there street preaching. But it was pretty cold this uh, this weekend. And uh, But it's nice, though. I, probably anybody else that does street preaching, you know, even if it's really cold, if you're preaching most of the time, uh, your blood pumps through your body, I guess, faster and things, and it warms you up. And I really wasn't cold at all um, while I was preaching, but uh, I feel bad for some of the ladies and that were there and passing out gospel tracts. But it was a good time. We got a lot of gospel tracts out there and, and uh, got the Word of God out. So uh, so the Lord's been good. You guys don't take a break during the winter? Uh, we don't, no. I, the we have a ministry through the church that goes to two different cities. We go to us, we go in Fulton. We take a break there because that's just trying to preach to mostly uh, people in cars that have their windows down during the summers. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is people that uh, all year round, you know, in the, in the winter times are going up for basketball games to the dome there in Syracuse. So they're walking up in all kinds of weather. We were mm-hmm. out there last year in a total blizzard and, uh, and preaching to them and trying to have gospel tracks. And you probably couldn't see maybe, five, six feet in front of you. <laughs> so, uh, but they're, they're still out there. So we'll be, we'll still be out there. Amen. So how's Syracuse doing? 
they're doing really good. They've only lost one game. They just won against Rutgers this uh, last weekend. And actually, this is the first game I was able to see. We were over at uh, our friends. Uh, they're actually uh, missionaries. And uh, we were able to go over there and uh, watch the game. And uh, so it was good. They they did. They weren't doing too good in the beginning. But uh, in the second half, they pulled away against Rutgers and did really good. So Syracuse is doing very, very good. They've only lost one game. Let's see what's new on my end. Um, I guess you know the, the the usual stuff: going to church and um, leading songs again at, at church, which is um, you know I'm not a natural song leader. <laughs> so the good thing is I get to pick out the songs I think I can sing, which is kind of <laughs> nice, and so that 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 helps. But we started singing one the other day, and I thought I don't know how this really goes. <laughs> you can't you can't really be the song leader if you don't really know how the song goes. <laughs> so for a few minutes there, it took me probably fifteen seconds to you know what I mean to remember the tune. But um, for those fifteen seconds, it seemed like a minute. You know, faces turning red. Nobody else helped you out. Yeah, I, I, they might have been trying. I think they yeah. were stunned more than anything. Yeah. What's, what's he doing? Where, where's he going with this? <laughs> but it's fun. It's a good time, actually, though. It's and when 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 the the songs, the hymns are, are right, and everybody's singing. I mean, there's there's certainly something something spiritually happening there too at the same time. So it's I, I usually enjoy the song service. I just it's a little more tense for me at the moment until I get until <laughs> uh, I get it down. There's you get the best. What was that? You get the best seat, though. I mean, you get to hear everybody uh, singing right towards you. I do, and I get to look at them, too, which is a whole different perspective <laughs> than what you yeah. might think it might be sitting in the pew, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're singing, um, oh, I don't know, singing some, something related to joy and happiness, and you look out and you think, come on. Yeah. Let's <laughs> look very joyful here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... And Pastor Strobel, you, you have uh, two excellent song leaders there. I always enjoy Hardy and, bro- Hardy and Brother Joe. Yes. So those yep. guys are usually pretty fun. Yep. And they both have their own very distinct personalities. And they do, in very different styles of leading the singing. Yep. And the way, the way it works, Brother Joe, uh, because of his work at the hospital, uh, has got to take every other weekend at work. And so it's been that way for years. So he, he's our main song leader. Mm-hmm. But uh, every other Sunday morning, uh, Hardy will lead. And um, they do. They both provide a variety and mm-hmm. occasionally... Uh, after a service, we might have a song or um, sometimes maybe on a Wednesday night um, when uh, the song leader isn't quite right there, I might lead it, lead it myself as well. So mm-hmm. just keep my skills sharp. Mm-hmm. So I did that actually last night after the service. Mm-hmm. It's it, more of it's, it's more just uh, as the spirit leads. Mm-hmm. So we did a song, closed out with that, but I enjoy leading it uh, when I get a chance to do it. Mm-hmm. There was a time we didn't have a song leader in the early days of mm-hmm. my pastorate here. And uh, it was quite exhausting leading all the singing, mm-hmm. making all the announcements, preaching the message. And mm-hmm. took a little bit out, more out of me, especially in the, in the early, the early days, days of pastoring. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So I've been doing that and also um, working with... Um, Sister Barbie, which is Pastor Matt's wife, uh, she's recording a CD of gospel hymns. and So I've been figuring out how to do that here, and we've been kind of perfecting that. So that's been good, and give you some more information about that as soon as uh, that nearest completion. 
I think we mentioned it before. It sounds really good. I've heard a couple of the songs. Very, very good. Amen. Yeah, Amen. It, it's it's good. And and if you were just to even just uh, to write out the the words, that would be a blessing. So yeah. to, hear, to hear them sung at the same time, it's it's good stuff. So let's see what else. Um, I we were talking before uh, we got on air, so to speak, just about. Uh, one of the things that I actually learned this at church, I was showing someone uh, a euro, you know, the European coin, the euro. I don't know if you guys ever seen one. I haven't. It's got this woman riding this beast. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it, uh, I'll probably, I can I'm sure I can get one off the internet and um, link to it so you can see it here in the show notes. But That's not biblical or anything. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little disturbing. Anyway, I, we were looking at the coin and talking about it, and someone happened to mention to me, "Did did you see that the uh, the new coins, in the United States, that they're they're taking off in God we trust?" And I was like, "What? No." Like to, to me, that's one of the things you know that I don't know. I, I I've always enjoyed having on a coin on our money that you know, in God we trust. You may be able to try and eradicate all mention of God from. <clears throat> you know, like the uh, schools and public places, but to see it on our coins was was always kind of heartening to me. So here that they're attempting or have already started to remove it was disturbing. Mm. And I guess the new dollar does have, uh, in God we trust, I guess not completely removed, and I haven't seen one yet, but from what they say, it's actually on the edge of the coin. So it slipped off to the edge and... I think it's probably going to slip off completely. But and just just to clarify, as he, Eric was saying, it's the dollar coins. And um, while we were getting ready for the show, after we got done talking about that, I um, pulled out some of those coins. I have uh, some set aside and uh, made an interesting discovery. The first one apparently was 2007, and I was aware that they did remove in God We Trust, as you had said, Brother Eric, but. I was not aware, as we talked about, that they had said they put them on the edge of the coin. And uh, they actually uh, indeed do have it on the edge. And if you're even just holding it by the edge, you can see uh, it, things that there is something imprinted on it. And they have more than that. They have, i got kind of got to get the magnifying glass to be able to see it. <laughs> but uh, they have In God We Trust. They also have the date. And that was uh, 2007, the year or the year 2007. Uh, the mint stamp, it looks like, which was the P here, and then the E pluribus unum is also on the uh, edge. Hmm. Now that's 2007. I've got another one here that's 2009, and you'll be happy to know uh, on John Tyler's 2009 coin. And God we trust made it back to the face. Good. Hmm. I wonder if was there some outcry maybe that they put it back or you think? <laughs> I would yeah. I would I, think, I would hope. I would think that had to do it. It had to be it. They still have the um date uh year on the side, it's two thousand and nine, and they still have the oh okay, let me see. They got some stars on there. And the E pluribus unum, but God has made it back to the front. <laughs> Maybe they figured they'd just try and slip that, you know, slip that in, see if anybody noticed. 
Yeah, don't max out your credit cards just yet, people. <laughs> <laughs> you still might have to pay your debts. <laughs> and by the way, we don't recommend maxing them out when you think the Lord's coming anyway. Amen. That's just a joke. See Only the if you want to buy me things. <laughs> See the episode on personal finance. <laughs> yeah. uh. oh. Well, speaking of past episodes, let's go ahead and... Uh, have a word from our sponsor, which is, as we always say, us. So here, here we go. Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? Did Jesus turn the water into fermented wine? Find out what the Bible says in podcast episode 16, Was Jesus a Social Drinker? Only on fatsinthebible.com. Can you prove that God exists? Does the Bible offer any real evidence for the existence of God? What about science? Would it be unscientific to believe in God? Examine with us these questions and many others in episode 42. Is there any proof of God? Only on thatsinthebible.com. All right, some other episodes for you to check out in your spare time. Amen. Well, we don't have Steve here. I, I miss Steve when he's not here. Yeah. I can't I pick on him. I wouldn't feel right. <laughs> That's never stopped you in the past, man. <laughs> it didn't stop us before the podcast started. That's, right. oh, that's true. I, it's just what we Steve. Well, unless someone has something else, why don't we go ahead and get started with uh, episode 59, The Lord's Supper, if you're ready, Matt. Sounds good. All right, here we go. All right. Well, the title of this message tonight is The Lord's Supper. And of course, like everything else that takes place in religion today, many people have many theories, uh, many ideas of what the Lord's Supper should be. Um, you have the Catholic Church. Now, I have nothing wrong with Catholics. I want to say that first and foremost. Um, I've got uh, a grandmother that is a Catholic. I've got a couple um, friends at work that are Catholics. And uh, I have nothing personally uh, against them. Most people, when I witness to them and I tell them that the Catholic Church teaches many damnable things and, and teaches them lies and doesn't teach them the Bible uh, correctly, uh, they think that I'm just all against Catholics and I'm not. I want to make sure you know that right off the bat. But uh, there also is something in the Catholic Church that, that they call Mass. And uh, they take the Eucharist, they say, which is the, uh, the bread, and they take the uh, wine, and uh, they call that uh, the Mass. And uh, so many people, when they think about the Lord's Supper or communion, uh, they think about the Mass. And, you know, at work, uh, it was probably about uh, maybe two months ago, we were going to take the Lord's Supper at our church, and 
I was telling some of the people at my work and, um, you know, cause they were wondering what I was doing, um, you know, at church. And I told them, I said, listen, we're going to be taking the Lord's supper. And so they kind of uh, applied that to the Catholic church and the mass. And so I had to explain to them some of these things. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this, uh, episode tonight. The show tonight is because a lot of people do not understand what the Lord's supper is. Um, you know, what the ingredients of it is, uh, the whole history behind it, uh, how it was started and who started it. Um, maybe even, uh, why should we even do it? You know, what, what's the whole purpose of it? And those, those are some of the questions that I want to answer tonight. And I hope I will be able to answer. And of course, the only thing that we will use tonight is the King James Bible. And I will use that to answer every single question, uh, that you may have. And of course, you know, we always hope that you'll, uh, call in or uh, even write us and just uh, ask maybe some more questions maybe that I didn't even uh, come about and answer, try and answer for you. So well, before we get started, let's uh, just uh, have a quick uh, prayer here to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. Lord, I thank you again uh, as we prayed earlier before we started recording. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that you've given us. Lord, we didn't even deserve salvation. Lord, just uh, what you did on that cross for us, Lord, you sent your only begotten Son, Lord, uh, to this world to die on that cross. Lord, he was buried, and uh, Lord, thank God, he rose again the third day. And Lord, he's seated on the right hand of you. And Lord, I just pray, uh, Lord, that you would allow us just to keep uh, having the ability, Lord, the health to be able to keep doing this, this show, Lord, maybe give you some glory, give you a smile on your face. And Lord, I pray even somebody will get saved off of this podcast. Lord, I pray that uh, maybe some Christians will get uh, excited about your word, uh, maybe uh, even become pastors and, and uh, uh, missionaries and different things like that, Lord, just uh, just to put a smile upon your face and give back a little bit for what you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray that, again, that you'd be with, uh, Lord, my heart tonight, Lord, you'd help me to uh, say exactly what you want me to say tonight. And Lord, I just thank you again for all that you do and for my salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So again, we're talking about the Lord's Supper tonight, and I want to start in Matthew chapter 26. If you look your, in your Bible tonight at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, and the Bible says, and as they were eating, this is Jesus and his disciples, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to his, the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, this is right before Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed. Uh, if you look up before that, it talks about how Jesus Christ was warning his disciples that, uh, listen, even one of them that are with them right then and there in that room is going to betray them, is going to betray Jesus Christ. But then he here he breaks some bread, and he gives them uh, the fruit of the vine here, and uh, he says the bread is his body. It's a picture of his body. And uh, the fruit of the vine is a picture of his blood that's going to be shed on that cross for them. Now look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to start in verse 16. Now if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know that they uh, had many problems. Uh, there was fornication going on uh, with some of the uh, members there. There was also um, many babes in Christ where Paul said that he tried to uh, feed them with meat, but uh, they were not uh, able to to stand the meat. They had to still be as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word. 
Uh, many, many problems were going on here. So a lot of the stuff, what he's writing to him in the book of Corinthians, he's trying to uh, fix some of the errors that they have, that they're not going biblically uh, in the right direction. And so he's trying to um, trying to fix some of those things. And what's going on here is that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to fix what they're doing here with the Lord's Supper. They're, they're actually uh, taking the Lord's Supper uh, in a wrong way. And we'll see that here. Look in verse 16. It says, but if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. So here we see that the uh, context is the churches of God. Uh, if you look back in verse 2 of this chapter, it says, now I praise you, brethren. So we know that this is directed. The context of this is to brethren, people that are saved in the body of Christ, born-again believers in the churches. And in verse 17, Paul says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worst. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, and they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have ye not houses to eat and to drink in, or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So Paul's saying here, listen, when you guys come together, uh, you know, to what they were doing was they were having these big feasts, and they would bring their own food. Some people would have a lot of food that they bring from home. Other people wouldn't have a whole lot of food, and those people would still be hungry by the time they were done with the feast. And God's saying, listen, this isn't the Lord's Supper. <laughs> you guys are thinking that this is the Lord's Supper that you're keeping, but that's not what this is. And in verse 23, it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So he's explaining now, this is the right way to take the Lord's Supper. Listen, you eat your food at home. Uh, if you're hungry, you eat it at home. But this Lord's Supper has something very important about it. It's not about just eating food. Uh, it has a, a true meaning to it. Um, and he says, he's talking about Jesus Christ, what we read back there in Matthew chapter 26, how Jesus Christ took the bread. And in verse 24, and it says, and we had get, when he had given thanks, he break it. And said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the question is, you know, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? I mean, we see it here in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, before Jesus Christ was going to be crucified and betrayed. Um, he, uh, he starts the Lord's Supper. He initiates it. And he says, you're going to do this. And, uh, and also here in uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, Paul again says, listen, this is still supposed to be done. As a New Testament Christian, as a born-again believer in, the, in, a, in a local New Testament church, you are to keep this Lord's Supper. But what's the purpose of it? Well, it's for us to remember three main things. And the first thing is that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross was for your sins, that you'll never forget that. Uh, it says here in Matthew chapter 26, which we already read, it says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he also says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Uh, I don't know about you, but I forget a lot of things <laughs> as a, uh, not even just as a Christian, just as a human being, I forget a lot of things. If, if, uh, if my wife uh, was here and she was able to tell you, uh, 
if she was in this room, she'd tell you I, I forget many, many things. I didn't forget her birthday this last Tuesday, which was good. Uh, but um, or this last Thursday, um, Valentine's Day was Tuesday. I remembered both of them. But listen, there could be a year when I forget. And uh, many a men have done that, I'm sure. But we as human beings, we forget many things. And if you look in the Old Testament, uh, boy, if, if you read that so many times, it talks about how the Jews uh, forgot about God, forgot all the great things that God did for them. I mean, God took them out, took them out of, uh, it's called the Iron Furnace, took them out of Egypt. Uh, they were crying unto God, you know, save us, you know, save us from all this hard labor, from the abuse that we take here. So God takes them out, takes them out of, uh, away from Pharaoh, kills Pharaoh, kills the Egyptians, and uh, takes them on a journey, feeds them, uh, gives them water to drink out of a rock, uh, has it so that their clothes do not deteriorate. And what happens is they say, boy, we'd be better off if we were back in Egypt. <laughs> you know what they forgot? They forgot how bad they had it there and how good they have it now with the Lord. And so many times we do that. So many times we get saved and maybe even just a month or two, maybe it's been five years since you've been saved, maybe 50 years since you've been saved. And you know what we forget so many times is we forget about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, I've done it so many times. And uh, especially when I've been doing this study, you know, it's made me think that much more about what Jesus Christ did for us. You know, and on this uh, podcast here that we have, you know, a lot of times we get into some deep things. We get in some uh, amazing things, which we should. You know, the Bible says, study the show thyself approved unto God. We're supposed to study, and we're supposed to study the whole counsel of God. But you know one thing that we should never forget, we should never stop studying, we should never stop meditating upon, is what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. That is one reason why we're supposed to keep the Lord's Supper, because it keeps us remembering that Jesus Christ did that sacrifice on the cross, that he took his body and he laid it out freely. Just as, um, just as uh, Abraham took Isaac and Isaac just laid down his life. He's, you know, I mean, uh, you know, we talk about it, how really Abraham was pretty old compared to Isaac. Isaac could have got out of the way, but you know what Isaac did? He said, okay, you know, dad, if you want to take my life, then that's what'll happen. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He said, you know, father, if this is what needs to be done, I'll do it. Thy will be done. And uh, we need to remember that, that Jesus Christ did that. You know, so many times I'm out on the street corner, and uh, I many, many times talk about how Jesus Christ took the nails in his hands. He took the nails in his feet. He took the uh, crown of thorns upon his forehead. He took uh, beatings, lashings, uh, just a cat of nine tails so many times upon his back. And by the time they were done with him, it says that he didn't even look like a man anymore. You couldn't even recognize him anymore. He was so beaten so badly, and he did that for you. I say that all the time to those people on the streets. I say he did that for you so you can have eternal life and you still walk on and you still think you can do all these things and get to heaven in your own power. You know how many times the Lord has turned that back up back towards me and pointed my own finger at myself and say, okay, you're reminding them, but what about you? And uh, boy, there's many times that I've uh, even just been uh, preaching the rest of the time after that and saying, boy, you know, how many times do I forget really how he's really done that for me personally? And if anything that you get out of this study, I hope you remember that the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did was for the whole world. And especially if you are a Christian, if you've accepted that sacrifice that Jesus Christ did and are saved by his precious blood, don't ever forget what he's done. So not only that, 
But the second thing is, is that Christ is coming back. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the whole thing is that you're going to keep doing this. You're going to keep uh, taking the Lord's Supper until he comes back. I mean, we, of course, know that he's coming back. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 and uh, verse 16 says, The Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There's no doubt about it. That Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. And he's going to be coming back and taking home the body of Christ, those that are saved and uh, saved by his blood alone that he did on that cross, that he shed on that cross. And that's what this whole thing is about as well, is to show you that, hey, Jesus Christ is coming back. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that it, the Bible talks about that there's going to be some saved people, probably many saved people, that are going to be ashamed of his coming. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to be ashamed when he comes back. You know, I mean, the trumpet could sound any time. We talk about it all the time, but do we really believe it? The Lord's Supper is something so that we could... I'll look back and say, hey, listen, am I ready for the Lord to come back? Will I be ashamed when Jesus Christ comes back? Or have I, have I gotten everything taken care of? Have I covered all my sins in the blood of Jesus Christ by confessing my sins to him? So not only those two things, not only to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he uh, did on that cross for our sins, and uh, the second thing is that Jesus Christ is going to be coming back. But then there's also a third thing, and that's found in Revelation chapter 19. Another purpose that we do the Lord's Supper, as we remember this third thing here, and that's in Revelation chapter 19, and verse, look in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God, and I fell at his feet to worship him. You know what uh, it pictures as well? It pictures that we're going to have a coming communion with Jesus Christ. We're going to get married. We're going to have a marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not only going to have this Lord's Supper, we're going to have this great supper, and we're going to be married to Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. When he comes back, he's going to take us home up to heaven. and We're going to partake in this marriage supper of the Lamb. So those are the three things. That when we take the Lord's Supper, we're to remember. We're to put those things in the remembrance. Now, if you look in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 with me, Hebrews chapter 10. Now, as I said before, you have different religions that teach you that the Lord's Supper, what Jesus Christ instituted there in Matthew chapter 26, which we read with his disciples, they try and teach you that it's something that it's not. And I'm going to read a couple things that their church doctrine teaches here when you're, while you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, this is from the Council of Trent. This is their book of doctrine. This is what they take uh, over the Bible. All right. Now, you may say, well, you know, they don't they don't take anything over the Bible. Well, if you've ever talked to uh, a Roman Catholic that truly believes exactly what the church teaches, whether it be a priest or or, you know, anybody else, a bishop, whatever, um, they're going to tell you that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be quoting from them from the Bible and they're going to say, well, you know, tradition teaches or they're going to say, well, the church doctrine teaches this. 
and they're going to say those things, and they're going to they're going to elevate um, the Council of Trent over the Bible. Now, this is what the Council of Trent says, and I quote. I profess likewise in the mass there is offered to God a true proper propitiatory sacrifice for the living and the dead, and that in the most holy sacrament, the Eucharist, these are truly, really, and substantially the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that there is made a conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body and the whole substance of the wine into the blood. Now, I missed that the first time I saw it, but in the very beginning it says, I profess likewise in the Mass there is offered to God a true, proper, propitiatory sacrifice. You know what they're doing every time they do the Mass at the Catholic Church? They're saying that they offer Jesus Christ again and again and again as a sacrifice um, up there when they're up there with the, with the priest doing the sacrifice, doing the the mass. They're saying that they're sacrificing not just the bread and the wine there, but they're actually saying they're taking that bread and wine and they're turning it into the literal blood and the literal body of Jesus Christ. That's what the Catholic Church teaches that they do. Now, you know, there's people at my church even that I talk to them about this, and they're, they said they're Roman Catholic, and they say, well, we don't believe that that's what that is. But, you know, what I tell them is, well, that's what your church teaches. And let, let me show you here in the Council of Trent and Canon Number 1, it says, and I quote, If anyone shall deny the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore entire Christ, are truly, really, and substantially contained in the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, and shall say that he is only in it as a sign or in a figure, let him be accursed. So they're saying, listen, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ's literal physical blood and body, if you don't believe those things, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ are in uh, the mass, then you're to be accursed. They say, listen, you can't be saved. You shouldn't even be part of the Catholic Church. You shouldn't even be part of you know, the body of Christ. What do they say? Um, listen, you're supposed to believe that is what the Catholic Church teaches. Now, don't forget what they teach there. And look in Hebrews chapter 10. And let's take what the Bible says. You know, Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true, but every man a liar. <laughs> he put that verse in there for a reason, because he knew that there were, men were going to start teaching things that are against the word of God. And God says, listen, take my words over their words. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, talking about Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now look in verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In verse 17, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. You know what God's saying right there? He's saying it's one sacrifice, once for all, one offering of Jesus Christ forever. And he's perfected those that have accepted Christ as their Savior forever with that one sacrifice. So one thing that the Lord's Supper, the biblical Lord's Supper, is not 
is it's not another sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's not another sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross. Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, according to God's words, what he did on that cross was once, and he'll never do it again. He'll never, ever have to do that sacrifice again. But what the Catholic Church does, and probably many other religions do, is when they take the Lord's Supper or the Mass or whatever they do, they're trying to say that they're sacrificing Jesus Christ again and again and again. And the reason why they're saying that is because that's a way that they say that you can get to heaven is by doing these works. Well, of course, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, lest any man should boast. It's not of any works that we could do. It's only by the one sacrifice that Jesus Christ did on that cross. One more verse about this, um, that it's not another sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 26, the Bible says, For then must he, Jesus Christ, often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In verse 28 it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He was once offered to bear sins of many. One time. And uh, I remember going out, um, we went out to, uh, I can't remember what, activity it was out in Syracuse, but this was two years ago, and uh, I was witnessing to a lady, and she got very heated. Um, she goes to the Catholic Church, and um, she says, you know, I take Mass every single weekend, and I said, listen, that's not what's going to get you to heaven. You know, doing those works is not what's going to get you to heaven. Let me show you just three verses, and I went to Hebrews chapter 10 and showed her it's one sacrifice forever, once for all, and she just could not get it. She couldn't get it. She said, well, listen, my priest tells me that it's something else. But that's where it comes into play. Listen, you got to take what the Bible says over what a priest says. All right? So the Lord's Supper is not another sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and it's not going to get you to heaven. It's not going to get you to heaven. We've already been over what it is. It's a remembrance. It's a remembrance of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, that he's going to be coming back, and that uh, there's going to be a uh, 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 in the future— a marriage supper of the Lamb that is going to take place. Now let's look here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I'll be honest with you, this uh, verse tripped me up the first time I read it. I don't know if this happened to anybody else, but I want to go over it real quick um, because a lot of the times people will use this passage um, Maybe some uh, Catholic priest will try and use this passage to try and show you that you do need to eat the li literal uh, blood, uh, literal body of Jesus Christ, and the, drink the literal blood of Christ to have eternal life. Look in uh, John chapter 6, in verse 53, the Bible says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, if you just leave it at that, you'd say, wow, all right, so it sounds like you have to actually eat his blood and uh, eat his flesh and drink his blood uh, to have eternal life. But see, the problem is, is, just like every other cult, they don't take the context. Uh, they don't take the context of where you're looking. Now, you have to take the whole chapter, uh, the whole book to understand exactly what he's talking about. Now, what they failed to do is they failed to go three verses. Um, that's a little, about uh, six verses ahead. Look six verses ahead in verse 60. You know, what they say here is, 
Many, therefore, of his, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? <laughs> you know what the disciples said? Exactly what I said the first time I read it. What in the world is he talking about? <laughs> you know, he, for all these other times, he said that it's only by grace through faith are we saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, it's just by believing on Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Why is he saying here that you have to eat his uh, flesh and drink his blood? Well, Jesus Christ knew exactly what they were thinking, and look what he answered them with in verse 63. Verse 63, Jesus Christ gives them the answer. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. So it's the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. So he makes it very clear. It's not the flesh that profiteth. It's the spirit. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So Jesus Christ knew exactly what they were thinking. And he's telling them here, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the new birth. If you look in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, you see that it's the Holy Spirit. Your spirit needs to be born again. You, the spirit of man needs to be born again, and it's born again by the Holy Spirit, and it's only done by the Word of God. Now, we won't spend the time to go through that, but John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, you see your Holy, that your spirit needs to be born again by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does that by the Word of God. And that's in 1 Peter 1, 23, James chapter 1, verse 21, and Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Now, not only this verse shows you the context of verses 53 and 54, but go back, go back to John chapter six, verse 40. Before he even gets in this whole conversation about eating his flesh and um, drinking his blood, look what he says, John chapter six, verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Look at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. So you know what Jesus Christ said before he talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? He said, it's only by believing in him will you have eternal life. At the end of verse 40 there, it says, um, and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's exactly what it says in verse 54. Uh, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So you know what Jesus Christ is saying? It's spiritual. It's all spiritual. You know, you may try and take it out of context. And if you take it out of context, and yeah, you can have a couple of verses that you could break your neck on, and that's what these uh, cults do. But if you look in context, you see exactly what it is. He, he puts it before those verses and after those verses that it's all spiritual. It's not drinking or, or eating his literal uh, blood or flesh. And, uh, and of course, I'm not going to go over these verses. We're not going to run those passages. But to drink the literal blood— of Jesus Christ or anybody else's blood is forbidden all throughout the Bible. You've got before the law, that's in Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. You've got under the law, which is in Levit Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14. And uh, even right now, under grace, Acts chapter 15, verse 29. So if what the Catholic Church is doing, uh, if they're actually turning that into the literal physical blood of Jesus Christ, which they're not, but uh, if they say that they are, they're going against the whole entire Bible. The whole entire Bible, they're going against the Word of God uh, many, many ways. And by that, they're, uh, they're not supposed to drink blood, but they are. And, uh, and uh, that's what God says. You're not supposed to do that. Now, the question is, who then is to take part in the Lord's Supper? Well, look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I already showed you this to you before. It says, Now I praise you, brethren. So in the whole context of the Lord's Supper, 
It's uh, the brethren. Those that are saved in the body of Christ are to take communion. And also when Jesus Christ uh, instituted it, Matthew chapter 26, he's with the disciples. Uh, all the disciples are saved. Um, of course, uh, Judas Iscariot's not saved, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he's a devil. And uh, if we haven't been over that before, we will, we will again. But, uh, but uh, he wasn't even present for uh, the Lord's Supper. But, uh, but either way, the disciples that were there with Jesus Christ, when he was taking that, uh, the Lord's Supper, they were all saved. So everybody that takes place, that takes part in this Lord's Supper is saved. Now, if you go to a church and you're not saved, if you're listening to this right now and you go to a church from now on and they're taking the Lord's Supper and if you're not saved, listen, go up to somebody and say, listen, I'm not saved. I can't take this. And uh, say, listen, I want to get saved. I mean, seriously, you you need to get saved before uh, either you die or before Jesus Christ comes back. Because without Jesus Christ, you will go to a devil's hell and you don't want to go there. The whole point of it is for you to understand that Jesus Christ died on that cross for you. Now, as Christians, we're supposed to examine ourselves. I mean, when we're going to be taking this Lord's Supper, we're supposed to examine ourselves. Now, look here with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 27, the Bible says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the uh, body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So the Bible says that before we take the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to examine ourselves. Um, many times before we take the Lord's Supper, we take at least five minutes um, um, in the in church, and uh, we just pray to ourselves and we, before you even get in the church, you should do this. You should uh, pray to God and say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. You know, and you go through uh, the sins that you haven't already put under the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away those sins. So they're not going to be in the way of your communion, of your uh, of taking the Lord's Supper. And uh, when you examine yourself, many times the Lord will just bring those right up to you when you're in prayer. And they'll say, yeah, okay, what about this sin? What about that sin? They say, Lord, please forgive me that sin. You know, please cover me with your blood. And uh, if you look in First John, this is a very familiar passage. First John chapter one, verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, you need to confess your sins to Jesus Christ. You need to confess your sins to God and say, Lord, please cover me. Cover me in your blood before I take the Lord's Supper. And the whole reason why is because you see the things that happen to these people uh, and you. If you're saved and you're taken to that uh that Lord's Supper, and you haven't examined yourself, you're, uh, you could be in trouble. And the reason why is because it says right here uh, in verse 30, For this cause many are weak 
and sickly. Many people get sick because of uh, they don't uh, uh, take seriously the Lord's Supper and put some of their sins underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And many sleep. Now, of course, uh, many of the bodies that uh, slept in the graves arose. This is talking about their physical body is sleeping, that, uh, that they're dead. So uh, many people even die because of this, because they don't get their sins underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. But it says here in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So the bottom line is, of course, you're not going to lose your salvation. I mean, God's going to chasten us just like he said he would. Um, and uh, Hebrews, he talks about how he's going to chasten us uh, as children of God, as just as uh, we have, you know, human fathers that chasten us here. Uh, we also have God the Father that uh, that chasten us as well. And that's in Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, verse 8. I actually go down to uh, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he uh, whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, um, then are ye bastards and not sons. So furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits? And live. So the whole thing is, is that listen. If we confess our sins to God, He's not going to have to chastise us uh, when we take the Lord's Supper. But listen, if we don't put our sins underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and, and confess our sins to God, then uh, we could actually uh, get the chastisement of God because of because we're doing this uh, wrongfully. Now the other question comes up: Is how often are we supposed to do this? How often are we supposed to to uh, take the Lord's Supper? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup. It says, For as often as ye. So it really is up to the pastor. It's up to the pastor's discretion how often that he does it. Now, we talk about that this is a memorial. He says, Do this in remembrance of me. You know, uh, we think about 9-11 here in New York, and we've got uh, when 9-11 uh, happened in 2001, uh, we've had a memorial every year, uh, a memorial service for those that have lost their lives, whether it be the firemen, the, the New York City cops, or those that were in the Twin Towers, or uh, those that were in the planes that struck the buildings. We put a memorial to remember them every single year. And uh, we've got Memorial Day. We've got many different things that we do once a year. And um, many people probably put a memorial out for the loved ones maybe every month, whatever. Now, it's up to the pastor. It's up to the pastor how often they do it. I've heard of churches that do it uh, three times a year. I've heard of churches that do it once every month. Um, personally, if I was a pastor, I don't know if I would do it every month because um, that seems a little bit too often. But, but, uh, but that's just me. I mean, the Bible says here, for as often as ye. So it's up to the pastor. It's up to the pastor and how he leads his flock, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the three reasons um, why we do it. And it's to remember. Now, if you keep doing it and you do it so often that it just becomes just habit just to keep doing it, taking the bread, taking the, um, taking the wine, and you don't, uh, you see your congregation not understanding exactly what it is for, and it just becomes habit, that's not doing its job. The job is for us to remember, for us to remember what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Now, um, we're going to look at just two more things. We're going to look at exactly what the ingredients are. 
And I, I think this is very important because a lot of different churches have this wrong. Even Protestant churches have this wrong about what the ingredients are involved in uh, the Lord's Supper. Now let's look at the wine first. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29, the Bible says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus Christ says the fruit of this vine, uh, and he says it's new. Now, look in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8. We'll see this new wine. And Isaiah 65, verse 8 says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. So this new wine that Jesus Christ gave his disciples— um, at the Lord's Supper here was new wine, and it's found in the cluster. Now, let's see uh, how you get the new wine out of that cluster. And we'll look in Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, verse 9. Actually, start in verse 10. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So, of course, the new wine comes from the clusters, and the clusters bring forth the ripe grapes. And here what they did was they pressed out with his hand uh, the grapes, and what came forth is the pure blood of the grape. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 14, it's the pure blood of the grape. All it is is grape juice. What Jesus Christ gave his disciples was grape juice. Now, of course, we know that the, the wine, the grape juice, or the new wine that Jesus Christ gave his disciples was a picture of his blood. And he said that. It's a picture of his blood. Now, we know that his blood, of course, is uh, pure. If you look in First uh, Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 18, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver, silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So his blood was not corruptible. His blood was without blemish and without spot. Now, when you take wine, not new wine, but fermented wine, which a lot of churches take today— fermented liquor, fermented wine, what they're doing is they're picturing Jesus Christ's blood as uh, something that's been corrupted. Now, that is totally unbiblical. What you're supposed to do when you take the Lord's Supper is it's supposed to be new wine. It's supposed to be grape juice. And, of course, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Woe unto that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle uh, to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. There is no way that Jesus Christ would have gave them any fermented liquor, anything like that. He gave them the pure blood of the grape. He gave them uh, the new wine, which is uh, grape juice. Now look in um, John chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus Christ likens himself as the bread of life. And uh, we, of course, know that Jesus Christ was without sin. There was no sin on him at all. Jesus Christ was sinless. You'll see that in 1 John 3, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Hebrews 4, 15, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. He was perfectly sinless, and his body, of course, had no sin. He was perfectly sinless. Now, if his body, if the bread is a picture of his body, then you better have uh, bread that is not corrupted. And that's exactly what unleavened bread is. It's not, it doesn't have any leaven in it at all. And uh, you say, well, what's wrong with leaven? 
Well, the problem with leaven is in the Bible, uh, Jesus Christ tells us that leaven is a type of sin. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 through 12, uh, he warns us about the false doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, and he, and uh, he talks about that being leaven. And uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus warned of the leaven of, the, of Herod. In Luke chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Jesus Christ says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So all throughout, leaven in the Bible is likened to sin and corruption. Uh, Paul also states this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. We won't read over that, but if you read that, um, Paul again is dealing with fornicators in that church, in the Corinthian church. And he says, listen, there's a problem here. You need to get rid of these people that are fornicating because you've tried to get them, set them right. Uh, you've gone before them. You had them come before the church. And he says there, he says, a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. Therefore, and he talks about getting out, purging that old leaven, purging that person out of that church because it's going to cause problems and it's going to leaven the whole entire church. It's going to make it corrupt. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we do not have fermented liquor, fermented wine, we have grape juice because Jesus Christ's blood was pure, without blemish, and not corrupted. Same thing with the bread. We have unleavened, unleavened bread because there was no corruptness, there was no sin in Jesus Christ at all. So if anything you got out of this whole entire study tonight, I want you to know that the Lord's Supper is three main things. It's to remind you that Jesus Christ's sacrifice on that cross was for your sins and to never forget what he did for you as a saved Christian of God. The second thing is, is that Jesus Christ is coming back. I hope you're not going to be ashamed when Jesus Christ comes back. I hope we're going to be uh, in right fellowship with the Lord and, and trying to uh, run our course and finish our race. And uh, the third thing is, is that one day when Jesus Christ does come back, we're going to have beautiful fellowship. We're going to have a beautiful marriage and have marriage of the Lamb with Jesus Christ and have perfect fellowship with him. But until then, you know, let's keep taking the Lord's Supper. Every time our Bible, uh, every time our church has the Lord's Supper, be there. Be there to take it because we're remembering exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Thanks, guys. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Good study and uh, good admonition to Amen. Pastor Strobel. Amen. Yes, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, some things that come to my mind is Brother Matt was talking about the tradition part and the priest and the Catholic Church exalting tradition over the Word of God. And as somebody who grew up in the Catholic Church, I can tell you by experience that they do that. Uh, when I was having the Lord really begin to deal with me and I was becoming under conviction for my sins, um, just wanting to know I was forgiven, wanting to know I was on my way to heaven and really doing some soul searching. I would make uh, appointments with my priest and, and speak with him and try to try to get some guidance about what to do. And it was at that time I, you know, thought if, to myself, if I were to give my life to God, I, I should be able to get to heaven. And I decided after long soul searching, if the only way I really knew how to give my life to God was to become a priest. And if that's what it took, that's what I was going to do. And so I counseled with the priest. I made some uh, trips and visits to uh, seminaries. I visited uh, a high school seminary um, in uh, Romeoville, Illinois. I visited a couple college seminaries. One was in St. Minerite, Indiana. Another one in St. Thomas, uh, Thomas College in, near uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And again, just in, in, saw a whole bunch of things, which is which is another story in itself. But in talking with my priest, 
Um, let me just back up and say, after I visited the last seminary, uh, about a week later was when I got saved, and I had been praying and seeking God. I had actually in in the bunk in one of the in that last seminary I visited prayed and surrendered to God to go to whichever seminary he wanted me to go to. And uh, a week later, uh, just about a week probably to the day, is when the Lord led me to uh, the answer that I was looking for from the Bible about how I was saved. I went back to my priest afterwards and and spoke to him, and I came with my New Testament that I had been given and and was reading. And we had some interesting conversations after that. And uh, I mean, at one time, I still find this hard to believe. I was 18 years old, had been reading the Bible for maybe a couple of weeks at the most, and uh, I was marking things up and talking to him about it. And, and he said to me, he said, well, he said, you obviously know your Bible better than I do. Wow. <laughs> wow. I don't think he was being so facetious either. Yeah. But uh, when I was emphasizing the scriptures and what they had to say about salvation, that priest said to me, he said, well, don't you think tradition is important? Mm. And he was exalting that above the very Word of God. And, and even as a baby Christian, I knew enough to say, well, well not where it goes against the Bible. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Another thing, um, Matt did a real good job in showing you the interpretation properly from John chapter 6. Um, I like the comparison of, of verse 40 with verse 54. It really sets the tone where the Lord had explained the belief part mm-hmm. in having eternal life before. He talked mm-hmm. about eating uh, his flesh and drinking his blood. But in the Catholic Church, again, they make that emphasis of uh, eating his literal flesh. And they tell you that during the sacrifice of the Mass, that's what they call it, a sacrifice. Uh, they call it the unbloody sacrifice of Calvary uh, all over again. Hmm. But when, they, when the priest performs a, the miracle of transubstantiation, that's what they call it. Again, it's not really taking place, but this is the doctrine of their church where there becomes a point in the service where the host literally becomes the body of Christ. It's after that that he hands out the communion, and the people that come up to receive it, the priest says to them, the body of Christ, and then the person answers, amen, Mm. saying, I acknowledge it's the body of Christ. I believe it. Amen. And then they eat it. Now, after they read John 6.54, and they take it so literally— it's kind of strange. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Mm-hmm. After they eat it, they still don't know that they're saved. <laughs> yeah, and they still don't believe they got eternal life. Mm-hmm. And another thing about that is this. The verse doesn't just say, whoso eateth my flesh, but it says, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood. Mm-hmm. But they don't share the blood, the wine, which is what they say they also transform into the blood of Christ during the the service. The priest keeps that for himself. He doesn't share it with the rest of the people <laughs> in the normal church service. Now, I've been in church services where, in some of those seminaries and those private little services that we had, where they would give us uh, the wine uh, as well. But in the average Catholic church public worship service uh, week after week, um, even day, their daily masses for the, the public, uh, they, they only are giving them half of the deal. So <laughs> maybe that's why they don't know they have eternal life. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, uh, yeah. say, I'm being facetious there. <laughs> Amen. And that's, they use fermented wine, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And let me just add one other thing. I want to get you the reference. But um, there's a verse that says, "How the Lord Jesus Christ saying, How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Yeah, yeah. Amen. That's Mark chapter 7 and verse number 7. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I know I've witnessed to my grandmother um, a few times, and uh, one time it was for three hours. And uh, she's Greek Orthodox, which is, uh, for the most part, the same thing as uh, Roman Catholic. And, and um, you know, just trying to show her out of the Bible how it's just by receiving Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross and that alone, not any works that you could do. And she's been in the, the church for, you know, since she was young, young, young. And, um, you know, she just could not get over the fact that it's just going by what the Word of God says. She says, well, but it's holy tradition. And I said, it's not holy tradition if it goes against the Bible. Mm -hmm. And uh, she just, you know, it's one of those things where after you've been in the church for so long, they just get your mind thinking that one way and that's it. And, you know, the amazing thing is, is she said to me, she's like, you know, I just don't believe that I deserve heaven. She's like, I I just do not believe that. I will ever deserve heaven. And I said, you're so much farther along than most people in this world that are lost. You know, I said, you know, most people don't understand that they don't deserve heaven. Most people think that they're good enough to get there, you know, and got to look the other way on some of the sins that they've done and things and just look to their good. And uh, that's, that's the amazing thing, though, is that, you know, so many people are in these different churches like the Catholic Church and things that uh, just – just agree with what the um, go along with what the priest says and just believe what he says, believe what you know their tradition says and what their their doctrine says and not what the Bible says. And it's just so sad because you try and witness to them and they most of the time they wouldn't even give you the time of day. If they do, then they get so mad at you when you show them out of the Bible why what they believe is wrong. They they just totally turn you off and turn the other way. So, but uh, praise the Lord, Pastor Strobel, that you got saved and. You know, I just pray for that, that uh, maybe some some people that are even listening tonight, maybe you go to the Catholic Church or you were there when you were younger and maybe had believed these things. And, you know, I hope that you just look at what the Word of God says, not what we say, but what the Word of God says that we showed you tonight. And you'll see the truth that it's just Jesus Christ's finished work on that cross and that alone. Amen. Well said. Amen. And let me just add about this. Um traditions thing. There is a verse in the Bible where Paul talks about uh, traditions as a positive thing, actually. Second mm-hmm. Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, lest somebody remove it out of context, you, you've got to, as Matt even kind of pointed out about a passage, you know, take the whole, whole chapter together. We've got to get the whole Bible together. And, bef- and, and before he ever said this, um, he's building upon the foundation of, you know, the prophets and the apostles and most importantly, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in that passage prior, we talked about uh, how be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. It says this in verse 8, for laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men mm-hmm. as of the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. So when Paul was talking about traditions that he gave them, he wasn't giving many traditions that went against the Scriptures. And that's how you know. Um, if it goes against the Scripture, uh, it's wrong. If it's a tr- tradition that doesn't violate the Scripture, then um, you know maybe you have the freedom and liberty to practice it. But the whole bar or standard by which you judge everything is uh, what does the Bible say? Without that, we can just make up anything we want. That's right. Yeah. That's in the Bible. Here's one of the reasons we uh, 
decided to do this podcast and to call it That's in the Bible. We want to see what matches up with the Bible. And, and sometimes there's some amazing things. Actually, often there's amazing things in the Bible that people don't realize where those things come from or if they're even found in the Bible. So we try to point those out. And we I think we've done that tonight when taking a look at uh, what uh, is typically called communion or the Lord's Supper. So Amen. thanks again, Matt. Amen. Amen. All right. So piano starts to play beautiful piano playing <laughs> Pastor Stroh I'm just curious out of the uh, how many years have you been pastoring now um, 24 and Lord willing if we make it to July the 12th we'll be on 25 amen out of out of all those years that you've done you've had uh, you've observed the Lord's Supper any any thoughts on on what it can mean to a church or to a local body? I find that it's a very um, sober time when we do it. Uh, people reflect, because I make a big emphasis on the fact of um, needing to have things right with the Lord before you do it. And I read those passages about, for this cause many are weak and sickly, among you many sleep. And uh, I tell a very pointed illustration of um, observation I saw early on in my Christian life where somebody really didn't, didn't heed to that. And then I watched what happened to the individual later. And uh, even though, you know, we judge ourselves, I was just kind of observing as a Christian who'd been saved just for maybe a, a few weeks at that point. And, and I, I saw it. I saw somebody uh, literally be judged physically and uh, became weak in body uh, because of the mockery that he made. And, and, and he wasn't trying to make a mockery and, and being uh, making fun, so to speak, but he was partaking of the Lord's Supper while he was living a, a sinful life and really going down to the depths of uh, pretty bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I emphasize that. And we do take that uh, time beforehand. And I'll just, uh, we have usually an altar call beforehand. People will come and pray at the altar. Some will pray right at their seat. And uh, we'll get right with the Lord. And then we'll, we'll just think about what he did. And so it's mm-hmm. a very somber, sobering time and a very reflective time uh, remembering as Matt said, what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he shed his blood and gave his body for us. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that. So remember, Jesus is returning soon. And uh, whether it's the rapture or whether you're going to go to meet him through your death, um, be ready. Amen. Amen. See you guys, Lord willing, next time. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on.